Hello, my name is Ashley Balin, and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I've applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. I had so much fun recording this episode. I got to chat with the Mom Room founder, Renee Reyna. Her blog, TikTok videos, and Instagram account are simultaneously hilarious and brilliant. She is using her social platform and influence to normalize many controversial topics associated with being a new mom, including breastfeeding versus formula, postpartum mental health, mom shaming, and mom guilt. We focused our conversation on the Instagram versus reality phenomenon as it relates to both new parenthood and dog ownership. I would love to keep this conversation ongoing, so after listening, shoot me your thoughts at info at meetyourmutt.com or on Instagram at meetyourmutt. Enjoy! Hi, welcome to Baby Puppy. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. I wanted to begin just by thanking you so much for joining me tonight. I know it's not easy at the end of a day after you've put a toddler to sleep to (laughs) actually do anything productive at all. So I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. I like like, uh, chatting with other moms. That's what I do. So... Yeah, I know. And we're going to we're definitely delve into that. I guess, you know, the first thing that I usually ask people to do on the show is introduce themselves and then tell me what they do professionally. But I feel like you have a million things going on. So <sighs> I guess like what's what's the elevator pitch? Like I can, I can give you like the cold yeah. notes. OK, good. Is yeah. There, is so... there an answer that you normally give people if they say like, what do you do for a living? Uh, so right now, basically what I tell people is, you know, I was doing my PhD, which took, which took forever. We had our son who's now almost two years old while I was in my PhD program. So I took like a 12 month maternity leave and literally, I think it was like a week or under a week. I, before quarantine started, um, I finished my PhD. So that was great. Congratulations. And then I, thanks. And it was like, yeah, right on. Like I'm done finally after, you know, like six years, I'm done my PhD. And then it was like, okay, well now you're going to be stuck in the house with your toddler for three months. So, or more than three months actually. Yeah, well, at the time we thought it was three weeks. <laughs> right. Exactly. It happened just when March break was starting. And I remember finding out that we were going to have a two week extension on March break and being devastated. Yeah. Yeah. And then and now it's been like five months. It's just crazy. Yep, exactly. So in quarantine, like everyone else in the world, I downloaded or I started using TikTok regularly. 
um, making TikToks. And then that got super popular. And I already had my um, Instagram account, The Mom Room. And so they just kind of merged and both are growing. And then I started a podcast in quarantine, which is doing amazing. Uh, it's a lot of work, but it's it's fun. And yeah, now I'm starting to write a book. And wow. uh, yeah, so I just kind of got like sucked into doing all this stuff. But I'm happy about it because it's really uh, rewarding, I would say. So you're podcast and TikTok and Instagram are all branded the mom room. Yes. What exactly is the mom room? Where did you get that name from? Oh, that's such a good question. No one has asked me that before. So I started after have, I always had my social media and I think before it was like green legs and yam or something like a play on, (laughs) you know, the Dr. Seuss book. Yeah. So I had that for a long time and it was like, it wasn't super popular. It was more just like a personal um, account. And then after I had Milo, I I did the 12 month maternity leave. And then at the end of the 12 months, I was like, okay, like, what am I going to do now? And I had already started a blog that was, you know, me writing about my experience as as a mom, like a new mom and things that I was going through. Like, topics that people don't really talk about, like postpartum recovery. Um, I did not want visitors after giving birth for a few weeks. And, you know, I was, I felt like, am I the only one that feels this way? And, you know, once I started talking about it with other moms, like, no, I wasn't the only one that felt this way. And a lot of people felt that way, but don't say anything. And there was all these, you know, we, us only wanting one child and not wanting, you know, more children. Like that was kind of something that was not talked about a lot. And so I started my blog and then I was like, you know, I'm going to change my Instagram over to, to be the same thing and like talk about the same kind of, um, content. And then TikTok was the same thing. And then it just kind of went from there. And then the podcast, same thing. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, just talking about things that, you know, moms don't necessarily open up about and talk about and understanding, you know, teasing out why we feel certain ways in different situations and, you know, things like mom guilt and all that, all that good stuff. And the mom room name came from, I was listening to a podcast and I knew that I wanted to switch over all my social media to a mom related account. So I was listening to a podcast and she was interviewing, um, it was Second Life with Hillary Kerr and she was interviewing the founder of The Shade Room, which is, yeah, and it's like a a huge, like popular uh, Instagram account. And I was like, that's such a good name, like The Shade Room. And her, her thinking for that name was all the people that were following the account were like roommates. So it was like a room, right? And these were your roommates. And I was like, this is amazing because I want to make the mom room and have all these moms be like mom mates, like like a mom community. So that's where the name came from. So it's almost like a, you know, like a virtual safe space for moms to come together and talk about things that are typically stigmatized. Exactly. Totally. So I, you know, I want to 
kind of start by going on a, a little bit of a rant just about okay. how much I appreciate what you're doing on social. You know, just like you mentioned, you know, like so many moms in their 30s, I got sucked into TikTok during quarantine. And because their algorithm is so equally immaculate and terrifying, within 24 hours, I was almost exclusively getting mom content with like occasional side trips into like lesbian and Black Lives Matter TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> mostly, mostly new mom content. And you were one of the first people that I watched on TikTok and I thought it was brilliant. Like I, you know, you're incredibly authentic and you address, as you just said, so many issues that are typically taboo in the new parent and mommy world. And, you know, I'm really thrilled to chat with you specifically about that polarization between how motherhood is portrayed on social media versus what the reality of being a new mother is. Mm -hmm. And when you scroll through Instagram, it's all smiling babies and, you know, these well-balanced, freshly cooked meals and sandwiches and cucumber in the shape of fucking Van Gogh painting. <laughs> and everyone has like freshly washed, shiny hair. But like no one's talking about is like, the, you know, the amount of work that went into getting that one photo. Like it yes. probably took like 35 takes and a couple diaper changes and, you know, the TV blasting cocoa melon in the background to just get that one idyllic baby shot. Yes. So, you know, all of this to say, you know, you've delved into this world. So, you know, what do you think it is about new parents where they know what the reality is? They're living it day in and day out and they see these images on social and then they develop these like false aspirations and expectations or they right. just feel guilty all the time. So if, like, like comparing themselves to these accounts, basically, yeah. um, because I do you think people see those those images or videos on Instagram and believe it to be reality? You know, I think some people might. And I think other you know, it's the same with kids. Like we tell kids to have like a media awareness kind of, right? Like when you're consuming content, not just to take it at face value, but to kind of like I guess analyze it critically. Um so we have to do the same thing as adults. And I always compare, you know, these perfect uh, Instagram accounts because I know exactly which ones you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I always compare them to, you know, if you're flipping a Vogue magazine and you're looking at a spread of, you know, some celebrity uh, and like their family photo shoot, you're not going to f- necessarily going to feel shitty about yourself because you're like well it's fucking vogue like this a lot of work went into this like this is not real right but we don't look at instagram accounts in the same way for some reason and i think it's because social media started out as this personal thing so it was you only really followed people that you knew and it was their personal account like this was their life on social media But social media has now become something different. And a lot of these accounts that you're talking about, like that is their job. So to get these pictures perfect and their family all in matching outfits, like that was a lot of planning. That was, like you said, it was probably chaos to get that one photo. But that's all we're exposed to is the one photo. So I think it's important. I think some people may compare themselves to that but I think it's important to scroll social media um, and think about what you're actually looking at and it's not it's not reality and a lot of these people are being paid to have their account look a certain way yeah I think I think what you just 
said about the way that social media has changed over the last, you know, five to seven years, especially is, is really uh, poignant because, you know, just like you made the analogy about flipping through the Vogue magazine, there used to be this understanding that when you flip through the magazine, all the people that were within the magazine were like part of this, like 1% that had been specially chosen. And they had a team of nutritionists and stylists and, you know, managers and agents and good cameras and all these different things. But we look at social media as being like, you know, MySpace or like early Facebook where everything was user generated and there was no funds behind it. Right. And, you know, we forget that over the years, the typical kind of like Hollywood or fashion mainstream that we grew up with doesn't exist in the same way as it used to. And it's been replaced by social media. Yeah. So so all of those social accounts that have, that are, you know, influencers or have a large number of followers have that same team of publicists and, you know, and stylists and all those things behind them that we don't, that we don't really think about when we're scrolling through our social feeds. Yeah. And a lo- it's like, it's a lot of effort to make accounts look pretty like that. And I think I have maybe a more, like, I, I have an understanding of that because my sister-in-law is a professional photographer, like fashion, food, all that kind of stuff. And I have been with her for weekends at a time, seeing her work and, doing photo shoots uh, and I've seen the amount of work that goes into it. And me personally, I don't have the patience to do that. And I remember it was January when I downloaded TikTok and I hadn't really done anything much on it. But I remember thinking like my New Year's resolution this year and just this past year, like I'm going to start doing Instagram stories and I'm not going to fucking care what I look like. Like I'm I'm not putting on makeup. I'm not fixing my hair. I'm not changing my shirt if it has like food all over it. Like I don't care. And because I never really did Instagram stories until like I think January. And so I just like went full fledged. And then I did the same with TikTok. I was like, I'm not changing what I look like at all. I'm not putting in any effort into my appearance because I don't have time <laughs> and it's not a priority. You wouldn't have time to film the video. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember consciously like making that decision and like, I'm just going to do it. And that's one of the things that people ended up liking the most, which is, you know, that's kind of funny to think that. Yeah, because it comes off as being truly authentic, which I, I, I do think that a lot of people, especially moms, appreciate. Right. You know, and obviously this this Instagram versus reality polarization, it's not unique to motherhood or parenthood. Like I, I come from the dog training world and, you know, my clients struggle with the same guilt and anxiety caused by social. They see new puppies that are cuddling with their babies peacefully or like lying down next to the table while they're eating dinner or sitting obediently while guests arrive at the front door. Meanwhile, their dogs are like nipping at the kids and eating off the counters and jumping and barking at everyone that enters the house. Yeah. And, you know, they, they think that everyone else has the perfect dog other than them. So, you know, you, your background, your, your PhD is in psychology. Do you have like any insight into like what's going on in our brains when like on an intellectual level we understand that almost everything we see is fabricated but like emotionally we still convince ourselves that we're making the wrong choices or failing every step of the way like whether it be for motherhood or 
you know, raising a dog or, you know, even like our, our, so our relationships with our partners, like it feels like we, we intellectually know that there's like a difference between what we see on screen, but we still feel like the insecurity. I think, I think it would come to being confident. Like, I think you need to be confident in your situation to be able to like scroll and it's same with like teenagers and kids you know people always worry about them consuming all the content on social media and it's like I would bet money that the kids that have like a confidence like built up would be less affected by social media and and what they're consuming and I think the same goes for adults I think like if you're confident in your relationship like in you know the choices that you're making as a parent and your interactions with your children and that you're you know doing your best and you've made these choices uh for a reason like you know I didn't do baby baby led weaning I gave Milo purees and I would see people do baby led weaning and acting like it was the best thing ever and you know there's all these benefits to it and uh I acknowledge that and I would see them and, you know, sometimes I would feel a little bit like, oh, like I bothers me a little bit that we're not doing baby led weaning. But I have to remember, well, Renee, you're so anxious when he tries to do baby led weaning. You can't do that. And that's okay. And now instead, you're going to have purees and he's going to get, you know, the same kind of nutrition, but you're not going to be anxious. And the whole like uh, environment when Milo's having his meals is going to be pleasant instead of you panicking and having anxiety. So you have to like reflect on why you made certain choices and also just really just acknowledging that, you know, these people aren't wearing white button down shirts all day and tucked into their khakis holding, you know, those letter boards where you punch the letters <laughs> in. like that's that's not what they look like all day. But yeah, there are I, no new parents that wear all white and it stays all white. Like that's, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. And the thing I've thought more so about, you know, what is it about people that makes some of them like me, let's say, who is just like, whatever, I'm going to make funny TikToks and I'm just going to look the way I look and my house is a mess and I have noodles taped to the corners of the walls. Like, I don't care. And then what makes other people want to present, you know, almost like a perfect uh, picture to to people on social media. And okay, so part of my training in my PhD was defense mechanisms. And so it makes me think of like some people's defense mechanism is like they're not comfortable to share certain things with other people, whether it be like, oh, my house is a mess. My kids are eating, you know, McDonald's. To them, like they fear judgment, which like fair enough, because in the parenting world, like, let's be honest, like people are very judgy. But other people like me, I tend to use humor as a defense mechanism. So I'm more drawn to presenting things in a funny way as opposed to, you know, everything is perfect. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think that like my approach to things is probably a lot more aligned with yours. Um, you know, what I've found, though, is that, you know, sure, there are certain things, you know, since I became a new parent that I find frustrating or that I've 
bit anxious about. But overall, you know, I am pretty confident in the choices that I make. You know, we also decided to be one and done and like I have no guilt around that at all. Yeah. And, you know, I also, you know, once I make a decision, I, I stick to it and I don't waver. But I do find that since so many people that are new moms that I was spending a lot of time with, whether they be in, you know, drop-ins or like playgroups or various like classes that I joined, that when I don't share in that insecurity and fear and like, um, you know, uncertainty, it almost all of the other moms kind of view me as being like arrogant or a know-it-all. You know what I mean? Like, do you ever get that sort of feeling when you're talking to other people because you're you're not sharing in those same anxieties and fear in the same way? I think I like my my close circle of friends, like I'm super lucky because we're just very open and honest and share our struggles and, you know, like zero judgment whatsoever. Um, so I'm lucky in that sense. But I do think that when people already feel insecure about things and then, you know, someone like you maybe doesn't share that insecurity. And even if you're just having a regular conversation with them, like zero judgment, totally like neutral conversation, they're going to feel like they're being judged or that just kind of amps up their insecurities because you're not kind of um like you're not relating exactly yeah yeah and so I think that's part of this like cycle that happens with new moms is like exactly like you were saying you don't um relate to their insecurity and then that amps up their insecurity obviously and then they have like a defensive reaction sometimes and almost try and make you feel insecure you know what I'm like you know what I'm saying like yeah, it and it's a cycle yeah you see it's a vicious cycle and you see it with all these topics that are so um common when you're a new mom like like the baby led weaning and the purees or breastfeeding and formula feeding screen time no screen time like it's it's always this like vicious cycle of feeling like you're being judged and then being defensive and then having a defensive reaction and then in turn making the person you're talking to feel insecure or at least try to. And then it's just like over and over and over. Well, I, I do love on on your TikTok account that when people make comments that you just blatantly like call them out on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like, you know, I've seen, um, you know, you address like a number of quote unquote controversial topics which shouldn't be controversial like exactly breastfeeding versus formula feeding or like sending your kids to daycare or what to feed them or you know various superficial expectations like I I loved when you made that video in response to the people that felt a need to comment about your messy hair (laughs) like like, it's like unfathomable to me that people are offended by how you choose to wear your hair when you're inside your house like in quarantine yeah. yeah in quarantine so like all of these topics that you address on like through your videos, do you think about it in advance and plan and have like a content calendar or do you just like reacting by the day based I, on like- literally I'm like fly by the seat of my pants. Like I, I used to in quarantine and when I wasn't doing the podcast and trying to write a book and all this stuff, sometimes I would spend 
like a full nap time just making TikToks. And I would write down my TikTok ideas like throughout the week. And then I would have all the TikToks saved up and I would just slowly kind of publish them. Now it's just like I make them in the moment. And also once I discovered that you could video reply to people's comments, I was like, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) Like this is like, thank you for all this content. (laughs) So and it's so funny because someone just commented the other day and they were like, why like your account is turning so negative? Like, why are you talking about all these controversial topics. And I responded to them exactly what you just said. I was like, these should not be controversial topics. That is part of the problem. Like, just the fact that you think screen time is controversial is a problem. (laughs) Like, it's Paw Patrol and the Wiggles. Calm down. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, if this is your greatest concern in life, you're doing really well. Like, yeah. And, And I think people feel bad for the people that make these totally ignorant comments on my, you know, oh, like you'll do anything to not interact with your child just because I said screen time is is not a bad thing. And so people feel bad for that person when I make this video reply and they're like, it sounds like you're bullying them. And I'm like, really? Look at the comment they just left on my on my video. You don't think I'm going to respond to them? Like, give me a break. Yeah, no, I I think that they're writing the content for you. I mean, you should be thanking them. Totally. So do you feel though, and I know that this is, I guess, like a a bit of a loaded question, it might be hard to answer, but do you feel that now that you've kind of built your brand around being this like, no holds barred, no nonsense person that, you know, doesn't care about how they look necessarily when they're on camera? Do you feel that now you have a certain persona you have to live up to? Um... I don't think so. I think I think this is just me. Like I'm, you know, I used to be maybe a little more nervous to say exactly what I was thinking or, you know, talk about certain topics. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think something happened to me when I had Milo and I was just maybe it's because I was doing all this yoga. Like, I don't know what happened to me, but I, all of a sudden when I got pregnant, I was super calm, like inside, it was really weird. And then I just like that continued into, you know, after I gave birth, like I just am calm and I'm not uh, afraid to say what I think. And, you know, I don't think I say it in a way that's um, aggressive to other people. Like I know a lot of people appreciate that I can deliver messages in a way that's kind of humorous and people can take in as opposed to being like preachy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's humorous, but it's also like what I also appreciate about your response is like maybe some of them, as you just mentioned, like the video replies are perhaps like a little cattier than others. Oh yeah. But (laughs) <laughs> but like, you know, my my education is in like canine science and dog psychology. So all of my dog training methodologies and approaches and training strategies are based in science and statistics and like evidence-based theory. And I know your background's in human psychology. So I, you know, and I actually get that watching your posts. Like in addition to being funny, you normally try to respond to people with, you know, stats and evidence and data. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I really appreciate that because it's not just like, it's not just opinion based. You're, you know, even the other day I saw one of your videos where you were like referencing like um, different statistics from crib sheet. Yeah. 
And I, I think that people appreciate that because they see that you're not just bullying or trying to defend yourself, but you're, you know, actually making choices or backing up your decisions with actual science. Yeah. And it's about also like a huge part of it is being able to, and this comes with, you know, being in the research field and being, you know, trained to kind of critically analyze uh, research you need to be able to hold two competing thoughts, which I don't think a lot of people can do, especially when it comes to these topics regarding, you know, being a new mom and things that you have to decide for your child. People cannot understand that what works for one family doesn't work for another family and that there's no right or wrong answer. Like, People want to believe that, like, it's black and white. Like, this is yes, this is no, you're bad, you're a bad mom if you do this. And it's not the case. And I think because I look at the research and I read so many different opinions and experiences from different moms, I'm able to see both sides of the argument. But there's something about, you know, the mom community that as soon as you say, like, well, you know what? Screens are not actually that the problem. And then they just get their backs up because, well, my kid hasn't looked at a screen in three years. So how can you tell me that screens are not bad? You know, they get so defensive. But I think that probably goes back to the insecurity that we were talking about yep. earlier is that, you know, once someone makes a decision for their household, then if anyone tells them that, like, they're, you know, that, what they're doing isn't necessarily the only right answer, then they start to question whether they had made the right choice for their family. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, yeah. So I think a lot of it's based in insecurity and, you know, motherhood is the hardest thing <laughs> you can, you can do. And exactly. I, and the, the sad part is, you know, it's based in insecurity, all these, all these issues, but what's happening is, we're almost um, instead of like being supportive of each other, it's like we're trying to take each other down when we're already all struggling and going through like a major life change. You know, it would be nice if everyone could see both sides of all these different arguments and just be supportive. Yeah. No, motherhood is one of those things that definitely should not be like a competitive landscape. Oh, right. Right. Like you know, like you, you, you would think that everyone understands how challenging it is and that you just would like, you know, commend everyone for their best efforts. And, and that would be it. Yeah. The worst is when I talk about things uh, related to, you know, postpartum recovery or, um, you know, like not wanting visitors and the comments that people leave. I'm just like, wow, like there's something wrong in in the world. And I think especially in because I've heard other cultures are different, but something in North America about just we're not respectful at all with for, you know, women giving birth and the postpartum recovery period. And I don't know what happened in history for it to be this way, but Hopefully it changes in the future. But yeah, people just have this mentality of, okay, you just gave birth. Okay, you just had a C-section. Like, get over it. Everybody does. And it's, it's, it's sad, really. Well, and I guess because childbirth is technically, you know, viewed as one of the most natural things, you know, in the world and has been going on since the beginning of time that they just assume that, like, no one's experience is actually unique. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I do find it, it interesting because... I, you know, I, I'm not going to go into my entire, you know, <laughs> birthing process, mm -hmm. but 
I, you know, I, I was never a person that wanted to be pregnant. I never looked forward to being pregnant while I was pregnant. I didn't enjoy the process. I didn't feel like I was glowing and connecting with my baby while it was in my stomach or like, I didn't have any of that. And I, I did find that while I was pregnant, that not my, obviously not my close social network of like my friends and family and coworkers, but that I started being treated by strangers and acquaintances as like a vessel for a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think that goes, you know, that goes into postpartum where suddenly, you know, the baby is the focus of attention. Yep. The mother goes into the background and the mother's wants and needs are seen as selfish because now everything should be about the baby. Yeah. And, you know, even while I was pregnant where, you know, people talk about it all the time where I'd have strangers coming up to me at a like Starbucks and like rubbing my stomach and I've never felt like so violated before. <sighs> But like, if you tell a stranger while you're pregnant that you don't want them touching you, then it's, you're almost being rude. Like it's it's very strange. It's like all of the rules of consent and like, you know, (laughs) people entering your personal space completely change the moment that you're pregnant. Yeah. And the funny part is I remember my friend telling me, and it's so true. um, She was saying how it was such a difference from being pregnant and, you know, let's say she's trying to get out of her car and there's like a snowbank there and people are so quick to like help her and, you know, you know, move, move seats on the bus or like whatever it is. But then once you have the kid, you're like an annoyance to people when you're pushing your stroller and you're, you know, trying to make room on the bus to get in. Like people are annoyed by you once you have the baby. But when you're pregnant, it's like, they'll help you because it's like and I don't know the answer to that I'm sure that there's you know that's a whole thing that you could study but I I do believe that when you're pregnant then that people want to protect the baby they're not concerned about protecting you as a woman they're concerned about protecting the child that's inside of you and then the second that like that child is born and it's a separate entity you cease to exist exactly (laughs) oh my god yes It's crazy. And, and, you know, one of the things I do appreciate about TikTok, and maybe this is, you know, TikTok's one of those things that's really interesting to talk to people about because everyone's TikTok experience is so different. Um, because, because of the way that the algorithm works, you really are only ever fed content that it knows that you'll like while on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest, you're fed a lot of content that yes, still has like a reasonable algorithm, but you also get a lot of things in your feed that you wouldn't typically interact with. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things I, I appreciate about TikTok is that like the viewers and the algorithm seem to value interesting stories and humor and authentic experiences and voices, if not more in like, you know, if like more so than just physical appearance. Yes. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm saying that carefully because I do know that the TikTok algorithm does give preference to people that it considers to be universally attractive. But I do find that in my feed that there's a lot of humanity. Yeah. And I don't see that as much on other platforms. And I wonder because of, you know, the popularity of TikTok, like, do you think that it'll end up influencing a positive change in other parts of the internet? 
I, oh, that's such a, a good question because, you know, initially when you just said that question, I think almost the opposite. Like I'm expecting TikTok to kind of turn into a place where influencers, you know, are promoting products and, you know, like little commercials popping up. And I, that's what I think is going to happen, but I hope that I'm wrong and I hope that it stays, um, you know, how it is now. And I think, I think the, the popularity of TikTok is leaking into well, Instagram for sure, because people, you know, you can easily share your TikToks onto Instagram. And then I think the the people that like the content creators on TikTok are, you know, then becoming popular on Instagram. And then the people that aren't necessarily on TikTok follow them now on Instagram. So hopefully that's what happens. But I feel like at the same time, we're going to start to see more, um, kind of influencer type content on TikTok. Yeah, it's it, it is it's interesting because I am, you know, they just recently approved ads on TikTok in Canada. So, I am starting to see more ad content and more influencer content and more kind of retargeting stuff. But TikTok at this point and their algorithm could change really does like their top priority is to just keep you within the app for as long as possible. Yeah. So if you're not interacting with that ad or influencer content and you only watch it for less than five seconds and then scroll through, it stops feeding it to you. Mm -hmm. So what might end up happening is that, you know, a lot of the ads and the influencers come onto TikTok, but the only people that ends up end up seeing them are the people that interact with them. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Because even even for me, when I I always put up a TikTok for podcast episodes um, and they definitely like I'm very aware that when you're trying to promote something outside of just having a, a normal TikTok, it does not perform well. And they TikTok, I'm sure like they're against you trying to send people elsewhere <laughs> because like you said, they want you to stay in the app. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the the influencer stuff will do well uh, on TikTok, but I it's starting to happen. So I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, it's, it, I, I do find TikTok so fascinating. It is. Before you go, I there's something I do with all the guests that I have on this show. I'd like to read you an email I got from a client that's expressing a concern that they have about their dog. Okay. And I'd like to see how you would respond if it was a mom reaching out to you about their kid. Okay. This is fun. Okay. So here is the email. Ashley, last year I became obsessed with following anything online with the hashtag puppy love. I had never been a dog person previously, but I delved deep into research about getting a puppy and finally found one that I thought would be an incredible fit for me and my family. She's the right size and she doesn't shed and she's incredibly gentle and friendly. But since bringing her home about six weeks ago, my life has completely changed and I'm beginning to feel resentful and a sense of yearning and loss for my life pre-puppy. I'm still waking up several times throughout the night to let her out. She's teething and putting everything in her mouth and she's destroying my house. Her energy is boundless and even on freezing cold days, if I don't walk her for at least an hour, she's bouncing off the walls and she always wants to play, constantly bringing me balls and toys. 
when I visit my friends with dogs, the dogs seem to do their own thing or sleep on the floor or relax in the backyard. And all the pictures and videos on Instagram or YouTube give you these simple one-step training tips that don't work for her. I guess what I'm looking for is some reassurance that I didn't make a mistake or that things will improve and also some advice on how I can train her because everything I'm seeing online isn't working. So obviously bringing a baby home and bringing a puppy home are very different from one another. Yeah. But I mean that I was pretending. Yeah. Is this like major lifestyle change and this increased responsibility and having to do certain things that you previously wouldn't have considered or had any interest in. So if a mom reached out to you basically saying that they had a certain vision in their head of what having a newborn baby would look like, and now they're feeling resentful at times and this sense of loss for the, you know, the freedom that they had pre-baby, what advice would you give them? Or, you know, how would you respond, especially after they've mentioned that the advice that they're seeking online seems to not apply to them or that their friends don't appear to share the similar struggles that they're that they're experiencing? I think I would... 100% like drill home to them that those feelings are totally normal. And just like any life change, you know, I've moved from apartments and then I, you know, mourn my old life in the old neighborhood. Like, right. you know, when we have a baby and I've talked about this to other people, of course, I think as moms, we feel guilty if we have those feelings. But like, I still have those feelings. I'm like, oh, remember when I was single and I lived in my apartment in Ottawa and, you know, I would just like go eat whatever I wanted and stay up late. And like, of course, I'm going to miss that. But if someone, you know, was here and was like, you can go back to that life or you can stay in this life, like I would choose this life. And if I was still living that life, I would wish that I had the life that I have now. So I think, you know, no matter what, you're going to miss parts of your life or wish things were different. I think that's totally normal. And that's just being human. And I would also say that the feelings and the problems or issues that you're going through, um, you know, with a baby, if it's, you know, sleeping or teething or whatever it might be, them crying all the time, it's, you know, you could try and get advice on what to do or, you know, seek out sleep training, whatever you're comfortable doing. But in the end, all these things are super temporary and as soon as they grow out of one thing, it's going to be another thing. So just, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable maybe and know that all these things that you're going through are so temporary when you think about, you know, the lifespan of the child. Like this is just like a little tiny blip in the road. Yeah. And I, I think that people really try to play down how difficult transitions are. Yeah. You know, like when you look at especially having like a baby or a toddler, like they any time that a toddler especially transitions even from going like in the house to outside the house, they have a breakdown. <laughs> and like those types of like minor transitions in a baby or a child, like we get we might get frustrated with or we might not understand, but they haven't learnt you know, impulse control or self-regulation or, or any of the things that you would assume that most adults know. And I think that a lot of adults still have a lot of difficulty with any type of transition, whether it be minor or major. And I think going from being, you know, a childless person to a person with child is the biggest transition that anyone will ever go through in their yeah. life. 
like going and even in people that I know that have like three or four kids all said that like zero to one is way more difficult than like even one to three or one to four is. Yeah. No, for sure. Everyone's going to mourn their pre-child life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, like from, you know, a dog training perspective, like, you know, the first thing I always tell people is to never, ever under any circumstances, like search for advice online (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) what's happening? And I think that that's true of of anything is that you get millions of pieces of conflicting advice from people that are self-proclaimed experts. And, you know, the, the only results will be that you shut down your computer more overwhelmed and frustrated than you were before. And, you know, then I would probably also, you know, pertaining to this, this woman's email, I would also acknowledge that just like we were saying, bringing a, you know, a dog into your life and your home, especially when you don't have any previous experience with having a dog, can be extremely anxiety-inducing and terrifying. And it, it does disrupt your sleep and your routine and your social life and your relationships and your activities from the moment that that dog enters your house. Yeah, and it's, it's like a whole, it's a thing that you need to take care of. Like, yeah. of course, that's going to be huge. Yeah, like it, it eliminates all spontaneity. You Like it, it completely changes any type of like, you know, freedom or flow or <laughs> calm that you might have you might have previously had yeah and of course as you said you reach different milestones and things change and you know the thing that you feel like is gonna go on for the rest of your life only lasts two weeks and then there's something else yes and uh you know but like I also do think that just that a lot of it especially with dogs can be mitigated by you know doing a some research or speaking to a professional and setting realistic expectations, like having an understanding of, you know, those, those different stages of development and milestones so that you know how long certain behaviors and challenging periods will last for Mm -hmm. so that you can even like mark it down on your calendar if you need to. It's like, you know, a lot of the moms that I knew when my son was younger had that like wonder weeks app. Yes. Do you you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it's like every time that their kid had like a few days where they were screaming constantly or not sleeping, and then they would check the app and see they were in the middle of one of their wonder weeks. And it would be reassuring because yes. you would realize there is, there's nothing you could actually do. This is just regular development and you have to just let the storm pass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also think, you know, with, with a dog that most importantly, if you create goals that are actionable and you take the 10 or 15 or 20 minutes aside every day to kind of like set up those boundaries and expectations that you'll see change really quickly. And I know that that is, is true of, of children and people and humans as well, but it's, you know, the results usually aren't as quick as they are with dogs. (laughs) Like you can, you can teach a dog to, you know, to be potty trained within a couple of days. That's it's not quite the same when you're working with kids. Yeah, that's what I have coming up soon is potty training. So, oh boy. Yeah, and as those words come out of my mouth, I realize that like the the trendy potty training thing right now is that oh crap book, which is three day potty training. So I might have just stuck my foot in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I that's I'm reading that book right now, and I'm like, what? He has to walk around naked for like two days? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I have a few friends that have done that method successfully. It doesn't work for my lifestyle because there's never a period of time where I'm at home without leaving for three days straight. Yeah, that's the that's the but, hard part. Yeah, I I was really lucky with my son because 
he just decided one day he didn't want to wear diapers anymore. So I didn't have to intentionally do anything. Nice. How old was he? Um, it was actually the second day of quarantine. Oh, okay. So, and it, so it worked out perfectly because we really weren't going anywhere anyways. Yeah. Uh, so it was about five and a half. He was two and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, yeah. He had like just turned two and a half. Yeah. I'm hoping my son will just catch on quickly. So fingers crossed. (laughs) But there's, you know, and that potty training is another one of those things that like, unless it's a problem or an inconvenience to your life for some reason, that there's no reason to rush it, you know? Yeah, no, I just, he's showing signs. Like he's very aware, like when he's going to go poop and like when he's going to pee. And so I'm like, Oh, I think he could, but I am holding off for a while. I want to finish reading this book and, you know, wait until he's over two years old. Um, but yeah, when's we'll see. Hmm? When's his birthday? Uh, in September. Oh, so soon. Yeah. yeah. My son's birthday is in September too. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all September babies. My family, there's seven of us born in September. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a busy crazy. month. I know. So when, after my son was born, we just decided to stop having individual birthdays. And now we just have like September as a birthday. And we just all get together on one day to celebrate a birthday. Eat cake every day. Yeah, yeah, basically. I don't need an excuse to eat cake every day, though. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So my Instagram and my TikTok is at the.mom.room. My blog is renearena.com and my podcast is the mom room podcast and you can find it uh, everywhere. Okay, perfect. And I'll include links to all of those things within the show notes also. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Have yeah. a good night. Thanks. You too. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to add a dog to your family? For a limited time only, listeners of Baby Puppy will receive 10% off our unique mutt-making package. Let us help you find the right breed, energy level, and temperament for your household based on your experience, expectations, routine, and personality. We always say there's no such thing as the perfect dog, but there is definitely a perfect dog for you. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, child or dog related, email info at meetyourmutt.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at meetyourmutt or visit the website at www.meetyourmutt.com. Remember, this podcast is just a baby or puppy. And as they say, it takes a village. So please rate and review. Happy parenting. Baby Puppy is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Ashley Balin, production assistance by Koji Nagata, and theme song by Pink Distortion Music.